and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Verse number 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Who was he mocking? He was mocking his little brother Isaac. Verse 10. Therefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be an heir with my son, even with Isaac. 11. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Verse 12. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. The Lord said this to Abraham. Verse 13, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. Now tonight, um, over the next few moments, as we look at the story of Isaac's birth and the significance of this character, we are going to be studying some of the richest typology in all of Scripture. Uh, some of the most significant foreshadowing and typology in all of the Bible. And uh, when you study the Old Testament, you recognize very quickly that there are layers of symbolism and foreshadowing of what was to come. Jesus said in the book of John, he said, when you read the Old Testament, you are reading about me. And even though his name is never mentioned in the Old Testament, and uh, you have to understand and be able to rightly divide the word to understand the foreshadowing that's there. The Old Testament is all pointing to Jesus Christ and pointing to the cross. So today there's three things. Hold up three fingers so you can keep with me here. Three things that we're going to look at from the story of Isaac. Number one, we're going to look at how Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ. Now when I say a type, what does that mean? Anybody know what that means? How would you explain that? If, you, if I said Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ, what, what would that mean? A symbol, a reference to? Anybody else? Example? In the Old Testament, when, when someone is referenced as a type of Christ, it means that things from their life is foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And so they are an example of... Of Jesus Christ. But more than just an example, they are showing us what is to come. And Isaac in his birth is a type of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that. The second thing, number two, is how Isaac is a type of the New Testament church. The church that we're a part of today. Isaac is a type. Now, uh, the New Testament references this specifically. It says, Ishmael, the firstborn son, is a type of Israel. And Isaac is a type of the New Testament church. And thirdly, the third and final thing we're going to look at is how that Isaac is a type of a spirit-filled believer. All right? And so we're going to learn things about Jesus. We're going to learn things about the church. And then finally, uh, probably most importantly for many of us, we're going to learn things about ourselves from this story. Is that okay? Lord Jesus, we pray that we would hear from you tonight, that your word would come alive to us, that it would not just be a, uh, uh, a study of, uh, uh, of things that are old and dry and irrelevant to us. But Lord, let the word come alive to us and uh, help us recognize uh, and see ourselves in the word of God and learn and be encouraged uh, and gain knowledge and understanding so that we would uh, not be vulnerable to the enemy. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you want to put your da- Bible down for a minute, let's just clap our hands to the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you, you may be seated. And whenever the preacher says, let's clap our hands right before he speaks, that means he needs a drink of water. No, that means the Lord's worthy of our praise. The story of Isaac, this character in Scripture, the second of the patriarchs, of course, his father was Abraham, the one who received the call from God to leave his homeland And that God would take him to a land that was going to be his and God would make a great nation of him. 
after God made the promise to Abraham that, uh, that uh, his seed was going to be multiplied into nations, his wife was barren. Not just for a few months, not just for a few years, but for 25 years. After God gave him the promise, she was unable to have a baby no matter how hard she tried. At a certain point along the way, she said, let's help God. And uh, she convinced Abraham to take one of her uh, servant girls, uh, a slave actually, named Hagar, that they had picked up in Egypt, and to have a child from Hagar, and that this child then would be her, would be Sarah's son. And uh, uh, because things didn't work out uh, the way that uh, she thought that they were going to, she decided to take matters into her own hands. And uh, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that this plan was a major failure. That Ishmael, as Sarah's son, through surrogate mother Hagar, did not work out. It was an epic failure. And I want you to know that whenever we have a promise from God and we become impatient with God and take matters into our own hands, things aren't going to turn out the way that we want them to or the way that we anticipated that they would. Even when we look at... uh, See, uh, I'm going to jump forward to the next patriarch right now, uh, which which would include Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, Rebecca knew that her son Jacob was the favored son. God had told her that he was going to be the one that was blessed. But it came time to give the blessing, and Isaac was so dim of mind at that point that he was going to give the blessing to Esau, who had thumbed his nose at the promises of God and didn't care about him and married women that were not uh, godly women. And so what did Rebecca do? Rebecca's like, i got to take matters into my own hands. i got to fix this. And so she convinced her son to deceive his father into giving him the blessing. Here's the deal. I think God could have figured it out without all that mess. Right? And, and guess what? As a result of that, um, Isaac had to flee. Rebekah never saw her favorite son again. He left and she was dead by the time he came home. Not only that, but uh, Isaac had to reap what he had sown in his own life. I'm sorry, uh, Um, uh, Jacob had to reap what he had sown in his own life. This always happens to me when I talk about the patriarchs. I start getting the names all mixed up. But let's get back to where we were, back to the birth of Isaac. Ishmael didn't work out as planned. And now, all of a sudden, Sarah's womb is dead. She's passed the cycle of life, the cycle of birth, and she's too old to have children. Her womb is dead. Abraham's 99. She's 90. It's impossible for her to have a child. All right? Everybody understand that about the Bible. Impossible. And an angel suddenly appears with a promise. He said, next year at this time, you're going to get a child. And Abraham and Sarah both laughed. Their laughter was a little different. Abraham's laughter was worshipful joy, while Sarah's laughter was unbelief. She laughed in cynicism and unbelief. You know what's cool, though? Check out what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 about Sarah, the one that laughed when God said, you're going to have a baby even though your womb is dead. The Bible says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Look at it, it says, through faith Sarah received strength to receive seed when she was past age. Now, if you're looking at this from the outside, you're like, but the Old Testament said she was cynical and she laughed and she didn't believe. But the Bible here in the New Testament in Hebrews, it says by faith she received. It almost seems like a contradiction, right? She's laughing and unbelieving, but then the Bible says by faith. But for you and me, an outsider might think that, but for me and you, you and me, we completely understand what it means to be full of faith one moment and experiencing unbelief the next, right? 
and uh, and then it, it kind of goes back and forth. You know, we're really believing God for it, and then we're full, something happens, and we're filled with uh, doubt, cynicism, and unbelief because we're real human beings, right? But guess what the Bible does? The Bible passes over the fact that she had unbelief and said, guess what? By faith, it happened. And that's good news for you and me. Because despite our wavering and our tendency to move back and forth between faith and unbelief, at the end of the day, it could be said of us that by faith, God used us. That's good news for us, isn't it? By faith, God. And you look at that in the Bible. Like in, in, in another place in Hebrews chapter 11, it, it, uh, uh, it talks about Rahab who was a harlot, who also deceived and lied. But the Bible doesn't mention that. It just mentions how she saved her family, right, by faith. And uh, so in the Bible we see that uh, at the end of the day, even though there's ups and downs, uh, that we can still be people of faith. Amen. In God's own time, the promise that he gave to Abraham was fulfilled. And I want you to... Make note of this. God is in no hurry to work out his plan. Like we get in a hurry sometimes. And we get nervous and anxious and we're like, oh, come on, God, what's going on? Ah, it's not happening yet. Ah. You know, we've got to learn that God's got a lot of time, right? And uh, he's not in any kind of a hurry, but he'll do things in his own timing. And in his own timing, the promise will be fulfilled. I like this verse, Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Check this verse out. I love it. I love it. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This is speaking of Jesus, uh, uh, prophesying of Jesus. But look at the last line. He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth shall not make haste. See, that's the problem. Sarah didn't believe. That's why she felt like there had to be a rush on this order. And that's how Ishmael happened. That's how the problems took place because she made haste. And this is something that I've had to learn in my life. And I'm praying for you that each and every one of you would learn this. Is that you will save yourself a lot of heartache and stress and anxiety if you'll just chill. Say, I'm a believer. I've prayed about it. I've put it in God's hands. In the meantime, I'm going to keep walking, keep doing what I'm supposed to do, keep living the way that I'm supposed to live. And I, I put it to the Lord, and I'm going to trust Him. And I realize that His timing is perfect. And since I'm a believer, I'm not going to get anxious. I'm not going to get worried. I'm not going to make hasty decisions. Uh, I'm not going... And a lot of times we do that. We, we make uh, permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. And, 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 and uh, because we can't figure out what's happening, why it hasn't happened, we prayed for it, it didn't take place. Well, God must m- want me to take care of it. He that believeth will not make haste. God is almighty. It doesn't matter how old Abraham is. It doesn't matter the fact that Sarah's womb is completely dead. Jehovah's plan is not going to be foiled no matter what nature throws at you. Somebody needs to understand God's greatness now. Amen? And God is faithful. What He has promised, He will perform. Romans chapter 4 verse 19. About this story it says... And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I'm a hundred years old. Sarah's womb is dead. But at the same time, I am strong in faith and I'm giving glory to God. And I believe that what God has promised uh, that he will perform. He didn't allow exterior stimuli to steal from him the promise of God. Because Isaac was not a regular kid. He was a child of promise. Amen. Now, we want to talk about how that uh, Isaac was a type of Jesus Christ. And the first way in which Isaac was a type of Jesus Christ, and the way that uh, uh, the birth of Isaac foreshadows the birth of Jesus. Okay? Everybody with me on that? The, the, The birth of Isaac is foreshadowing the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, here's one way. Of all the characters in the Bible... 
there is more said about Isaac before he is born than anybody else in the Bible except one person. Who would that be? Jesus Christ. Abraham's greater son, Jesus Christ. But Isaac is like Jesus in that there was much concern or conversation or discussion or prophecy about him before he was even born, just like Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, we just read it. It says that Sarah's womb was dead, which means that the birth of Isaac was a miracle. It was supernatural. It was not a natural birth. All right? Anybody know anybody else who had a birth that was miraculous and not natural? Impossible birth? What is that? That's the virgin birth. How can these things be, seeing I have never known a man? How can this be, seeing that I am dead and my womb is dead as well? It was going to be a miraculous birth. I think it's awesome when you begin to see the parallels between the birth of Isaac, this son of promise, and the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of promise. And uh, the miraculous birth of Isaac foreshadowed the miraculous nature of the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to believe and understand that Jesus was not born naturally of a man and a woman, but it was a supernatural birth. The virgin birth is critical. And God prepared Israel to be able to believe in this miracle by letting Isaac be born miraculously. He was born miraculously as a foreshadow of somebody else that was going to be born out of an impossibility. Everybody say impossible. It can't happen. But it did. It took place. Praise God. Isaac was the promised seed. So was Jesus Christ. Another thing to notice that's similar between these two is that a lot of time passed between the promise of Isaac's coming and his actual coming. Just like with Jesus Christ. The Messiah was promised a long time ago. But it was a number of years that passed, years and years and decades and centuries that passed before the fulfillment of the promised. And and I I think this is very telling. When you look at Sarah's response when she finds out she's going to have a baby, and Mary's response when she finds out, She's going to have a baby without being impregnated by a man. It's, their incredulity is almost identical. Look at it. In, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 13, The Lord said unto Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Why did she say, Ha! Huh, how can I have a baby when I'm old? Verse 14, God said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Look at how this is almost identical to what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, saying, I know not a man? Shall I bear a child being old? And then, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The holy thing shall be called the Son of God. And then verse 37, it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. That's what the angel said. Whereas the angel before said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? With God nothing shall be impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? With Him anything is possible. So you begin to see these things line up that let us know that Isaac was a a kind of a... uh, a birth pain before Jesus Christ to let us see what was coming in Jesus. Another thing is that Isaac's name was specified before he was born. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. There's a first time for everything, folks. So I'm putting on my glasses in front of you. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. So his name was given, given by God through the angel before he was ever born. The same is true. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Are you guys getting the connection here? That he was a type of Jesus Christ. And uh, 
Also, Isaac's birth occurred at an appointed time. Genesis 21 and 2. We just read it in verse 2 of chapter 21. And for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. At the set time. There was a specific time. And the Bible says in, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that Jesus Christ appeared in the fullness of time. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. There was a specific set time in which Jesus would appear. So a lot of things that we're seeing that are unique just to these two individuals in Scripture. And not only did Isaac foreshadow Jesus in birth, but also... When Abraham offered him up on the altar, it points to the cross of Jesus Christ. Isaac, again, is a type. And this is the only type in the Old Testament where human sacrifice is required. Every other time, it's a bull, it's a lamb, it's a bullock, it's a turtle dove. It's some kind of a beast of the field as opposed to a human being. But this is the first time that human sacrifice was required the first time the idea that there would be a human victim that would atone for sin because after all man had sinned how could a sacrifice of a beast fully satisfy the divine justice of god it was a foreshadowing that someday there would be a man that would die to atone for our sins isaac was a foreshadow of jesus christ romans chapter 8 verse 32 the Bible says of, uh, of Abraham, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The Lord spared not his own son, just like Abraham spared not his own son, but was willing at the commandment of God to offer him. Why? It's all foreshadowing Jesus Christ. When you look through the Old Testament, it's all pointing to Jesus. And when you when you read the story of him being offered on the altar rather than resisting or fighting, Isaac is shown simply and sweetly obeying his father's will. Just like Jesus Christ as a man showed us when he said, "Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done." Are you getting the point that Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ and when he went to uh uh, go up to the Mount Moriah there. The Bible says there were a couple servants that were with him, but then finally just he and his father went up. And Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice on his own shoulder, just like Jesus carried his own cross to the place of Mount Calvary. And Abraham had the fire and the knife in his hands. The fire and the knife represented the judgment that was coming. Abraham carried the fire and carried the knife with him. But the Bible says when, the, when uh, Isaac said, where is the sacrifice? That Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a, a lamb. He's going to get one for himself and he's going to provide himself. And when they get up and lay him on the altar, all of a sudden the type shifts. And the type of Christ shifts from Isaac to the ram who is caught in the thicket. Because when the Lord sees that Abraham is willing to obey him at all costs, God says, I know that I can trust you now. Abraham, don't harm the boy. There's a rustle in the bushes. Set him free. There was a lamb caught in the thicket. So Jesus Christ, as a type, shifted at that point from Isaac to the ram that was caught in the thicket that was offered in the stead of Isaac, just like Jesus Christ died instead of you and I. He observed absorbed what was coming to us. Isaac was already in the position of death. He was bound up. The knife of divine justice was suspended over him. And suddenly there was a, a substitute, just like Jesus Christ died in our stead. So you see the story of Jesus. And, you, and when you begin to look at the Old Testament through the lens of the cross, you see it everywhere. And Isaac, the story of Isaac, is rich with the symbolism of his typology of Jesus Christ. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham... When he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said 
that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. This is the promised son. This is through whom the promise is coming. But I'm going to offer him up. Verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up. God was able to resurrect him even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. He believed that God was able to raise him up. And again, you see the foreshadowing of the resurrection. Okay, that was fun, right? Now we're going to look at how Isaac is a type of the church. Is this okay? I see lots of yawns. It'll get gooder here in a second. So I only have a few seconds left. So we'll go through the type of the church real quick. In fact, we'll just read a passage of Scripture that kind of shows us how Isaac is a type of the church. Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, that's Hagar, the other by a free woman, that's Sarah. Verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. It was through the effort of nature and humanity and their effort. But he who is of the free woman was by promise. It was a miracle. Verse 24, which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. So that would mean Ishmael is the old covenant or the Old Testament or Israel. Isaac is the new covenant or the new testament, which is the church. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, the law, which is Agar. That's Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she that hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. You and I are like Isaac. The church is the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuteth him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now. Because the Jewish believers in the law were persecuting the new Christians that were believing in Christ. Verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scriptures? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free We're not children of Sinai, but we're children of the new Jerusalem. We're not children of the law, but we're children of the Spirit uh, through Jesus Christ and the cross. And Israel nationally does not inherit with the church. And so, basically, the point of this passage of Scripture says that the New Testament church is Isaac. Because it's supernatural. It's promise. It's spirit. And the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, through the, the law given through Moses on Mount Sinai, represents Ishmael. Because it's through the effort of the flesh to obey the law, right? And just like Sarah's effort to fulfill God's plan through the flesh, through effort of the flesh. That's what the Old Covenant is. It's us trying to please God with our flesh through the bondage of the law. But Isaac is supernatural. It's a promise. Amen. And it is through the Spirit that we inherit eternal life. Not through the law. Through the Spirit of God and through the promises of God. Amen. So, uh, Israel, I'm sorry, Isaac was a type of the New Testament church. Now, this is the last thing we're going to look at, is how the Isaac is a type of a spirit-filled believer. This is where we're going to make it personal, okay? This is you and me. How many have the Holy Ghost? How many have the Spirit of God in you? Okay, well, there's something for you to learn here then. All right? So we'll go back to the birth of Isaac here. Before Isaac could be born, 
all the power and the ability of nature had to come to an end. Isaac could not be born because it was a miracle birth if it was possible to be done through the flesh. So the body or the womb of Sarah had to die first. They, Abraham and Sarah had to come to the end of themselves. His body now dead, his womb that was dead. And for Isaac to be born, that which was dead had to be quickened by God. The dead womb had to be quickened. What does the word quickened mean? Quicken. 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 It's a uh, bookkeeping format. Quicken means to change supernaturally. To change it supernaturally. It's a change that can't happen. It is a miracle change. Like, for instance, if you were looking at me right now, and then I turned my head and I turned around and looked again, and my eyes had turned blue, I would have been quickened. That's a random example, but it is a change that cannot happen naturally. It's a supernatural change. And in order for Isaac to be born, a dead womb had to be supernaturally quickened, made alive, and changed. This is the most important truth of the gospel. And this is what is missing in much preaching today. And that is the understanding that the sinner is dead in trespasses and sin. It's not that they're sick. It's not that they're wrong-headed. It's not that they're uh, mistaken in their approach. They are dead in trespasses and sin. It's not just a figure of speech, but spiritually they are absolutely and completely dead. Just like in Luke chapter 15, when the prodigal son came back, says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to rejoice and be merry. Here's the thing that uh, uh, you will hear me rage about, uh, because this is the only thing that can save a lost person, is the understanding that you cannot be reformed and you can't turn over a new leaf and you can't just change your natural man. The natural man doesn't need education. The natural man doesn't need reformation. The natural man has to be born again. And this is a miracle. It's not that we fix ourselves. I know, I know that there's all these sayings, and I understand what they're saying. It's sweet. It's cute. That the power is within you. The power to change is within you. And I understand that they're saying that you have to uh, arise and wake up and understand your situation. But the power for real change is not within you. The power for real change is outside of you. It is the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. And the, 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 as soon as you realize that, that salvation is not something I can accomplish on my own, then you can maybe be saved. Amen? But as long as you feel like that I can fix this or reform this or educate this. Until you recognize that, and sinners have to be brought to see their need of a Savior. And they will not see their need of a Savior until they recognize that they are lost and dead in sin. What does it mean, dead? What does it mean, dead? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For the natural man... But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, the carnal man, the fleshly man, the unregenerate man, the man that's not born again, cannot receive the things of the Spirit. That's why... Uh, pardon me, but there's too many churches trying to reform unborn-again people. And there's some good principles that can be picked up and learned and taught. We teach our kids good things and teach them good habits and so forth. But what we must understand is fundamentally, biblically, that a person cannot 
please God and cannot even understand the things of God through the flesh because they are spiritually dead. It's impossible for them to grasp it. And the natural man seems very much alive. I mean, we're breathing. We have thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And we enjoy life and we enjoy our children. But spiritually, until the new birth... We are dead. First Timothy 5, 6 says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. That, that seems like a contradiction, right? She's dead while she liveth. Her spirit man, her spirit person is dead. It's not sick. It's not getting just a faint signal. It is dead. And it's impossible for somebody who is dead to respond, amen, to the spirit and to be transformed. So, so get this, get this, get this. There has got to be a miracle of salvation. Amen. Amen. John five twenty four. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The dead womb was quickened and became alive. And the only way that the New Testament church, that a New Testament believer, the only way you can be born again as a son of promise, it's got to be a miracle of the new birth of that which was dead coming alive. Ephesians 2 and 1. You hath he quickened, which were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And before Isaac was born, before Isaac could be born, a miracle had to happen. And regeneration of the believer is a supernatural operation of God. Amen. The new birth experience is an act of God's creative power. It's an impartation of spiritual life. It is a work of the Spirit. The Bible says we become partakers of his divine nature. Without the work of the Spirit, it is hopeless for us to be able to please God because we must be born of the Spirit. See, both Abraham and Sarah, they'd come to the end of themselves. What could they do to produce this child? Nothing. They could do nothing. Nature could do nothing. So it is with us. When we are lost, we're lost and helpless, and we recognize that help must come from outside of us. Now, here's the next point I want you to get. Is that when Isaac showed up in the house, when the son of promise showed up, it produced opposition and conflict in the house. In verse 9, chapter 21, the Bible says that uh, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, Mocking Isaac. All of a sudden, when, 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 uh, when Isaac, the child of promise, is born, there is conflict in the house. Galatians 4.29, the one we read earlier, says, But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, even so it is now. Right now, that which is born after the flesh persecutes that which is born after the Spirit. Ishmael was born after the flesh, Isaac after the Spirit. And when Isaac was born, the true nature of Ishmael began to manifest itself. And when you are born again, you begin to see conflict between the new nature and the old nature. And the flesh comes out. And begins to show its true colors. Just like Ishmael began to show his true colors when the son of promise began to show up. The son of the flesh had a problem with the son of the promise. And there were two sons. One was natural. The other was a gift from God. And they lived according to two completely, totally different principles and just like in abraham's household in your life there are two natures 
There is the born-again nature after the Spirit, and there is the original nature after the flesh. Galatians 5.17, what does it say? It says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Somebody was asking the other day, are they going to be able to get peace in the Middle East? Are they going to be able to, uh, uh, between the Arabic nations and Israel, is there going to be peace? Uh, if there is peace broker, meaningful peace brokered between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac, because you know that's, that, what, what, that's what that is. The Arabic people are the sons of Ishmael. The Jewish people are the sons of Isaacs. Naturally, genetically, they trace back. If you can get peace between those two groups of people, then you can bring compromise and peace uh, between the nature of God and the nature of your flesh. Uh, But guess what? It is not going to happen. They are contrary one with the other. It is eternal conflict. Uh, And when you are born again, uh, some people are surprised by all of a sudden they see this conflict, this war. This battle happening on the inside. Why? Because they don't recognize that all of a sudden there's two natures there that are at work. The new nature, the born again nature, and the old nature, the flesh that begins to come out and show its true colors. And as believers, you've got to remember, especially if you're a new believer, that there are two natures in you once you're born again. The new birth is not improving the old nature. It's a brand new nature. And so you have the original nature and the new nature, and they're openly antagonistic against each other. See, the Bible says you cannot reform a carnal mind. What's a carnal mind? It's a fleshly or a worldly mindset. You can't fix it. You cannot reform it. The Bible says in Romans, the carnal man is enmity against God. It's not subject to God's law and it can't be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God without being born of the spirit. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You cannot please God. But when you are born again of the spirit, you have a nature in you now that wants to please God, but you still have a carnal nature that wants to please the flesh. It's the battle. And you can't cast out your flesh. You can't do it. You've got to live with it. That's the struggle. That's the challenge of being a believer. Like we talked about on Sunday. That pathway to righteousness and the fruit of righteousness beginning to show up in our life. It is a process. Not a process of changing our old nature, but a process of learning how to walk after the Spirit instead of the flesh. How to be led of the Spirit instead of the flesh. Because you've been following your flesh your whole life. You get excited because of the experience of the new birth. And you begin to feel different impulses and changes and desires and passions and things that you used to want to do. You don't really want to do them. You feel a new desire. But then in a moment, all of a sudden, that flesh begins to get a hold of you and begins to try to pull you in a completely different direction. And a lot of people that are new believers get really stressed out at that point. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, SpaghettiOs must not have really been born again. Because there is a war happening on the inside. Guess what? The war on the inside is good news. That's a sign that you got two natures in there now. Before, you just had one. But when the other nature gets in there, and when you see that conflict between the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh, that's a good sign. Because you know that you have a new nature that's at work on the inside, and there's an old nature that's antagonistic against it. But at least uh, you got some conflict going on. Amen. And the birth of Isaac revealed the true character of Ishmael. Ishmael may have been a quiet, orderly type dude before. But when the quickening child comes along, all of a sudden he begins to persecute and mock and fight back. And it's not until you receive your new nature that you discover the character of the old nature. When you're born again, you realize just how bad that old flesh was. You didn't really notice it before. When you're born again, you're like, ooh, oh my Lord. The new believer begins to recognize the depravity of their flesh, the, 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 the uh, sinfulness and the darkness of their flesh. And sometimes it takes their peace away. Maybe I wasn't born again. But recognition of the flesh and abhorring the works of the flesh is the, the best evidence of regeneration happening in your life.
if you recognize the works of the flesh and you're like, this is still in there, it's still in me and I don't like it, that's a good sign that regeneration is happening. Praise God. Anybody excited about that? That's good news for you, somebody. That's good news for you. Because the person that's not born again is blind to the vileness of his flesh. Doesn't even recognize it. Just kind of living peacefully, peacefully with his vile flesh. But when the new nature comes along, the flesh is still there. And all of a sudden, through the new nature, we recognize our lust and our anger and uh, uh, those uh, flesh-born emotions, and, 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 and we're unhappy with them. That inner conflict is a good sign. And then in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 4, Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, which is a foreshadowing of our spiritual circumcision. We're coming to a close here. Our spiritual circumcision. The Bible says in, in the book of Colossians chapter 2 that we were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of the heart, of the spirit, of the inner man. What is the circumcision? The circumcision of the inner man is a separation of the flesh from the spirit. When we're water baptized in the name of the Lord and when we're born again, there's a separation of the flesh from the spirit. Now, the bad news is that doesn't mean we don't have to deal with the flesh anymore. We're still going to have to fight the battle. You're going to have to fight the battle as long as you're breathing. Somebody asked this old guy in his late 80s. said, hey, sir, when do you finally get old enough to where you don't struggle with lust anymore? He said, well, you're going to have to ask somebody older than me because I ain't got there yet. Because you're going to fight with the lust of the flesh. The carnal nature is in us. That's why the Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul makes it so clear. That you've got to walk after the Spirit or you fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's why I do not for a minute understand somebody who thinks they can live for God and not go to church regularly. How can you do that? How can you even think that you could do that? It's, it's, it's a complete misconception and misnomer. Well, me and, me and Jesus, we got this thing going on. Well, the reality is, is, is you can take your little placebo and your panacea every once in a while and then walk after the flesh, amen, and uh, continue to live however it is that you want to live. But when you come into the house of the Lord, the Bible says we provoke one another to good works. You can't be a solo Christian out there doing your own thing. You've got to be around a group of people that are going to provoke. The Bible says provoke one another to good works. That means you've kind of got to get up in their grill every once in a while. Amen? Not that we're judgmental or rude to one another, but something about being together and seeing that my brother has been persecuted, but he didn't lash out the way that I did. And, and, uh, and, and uh, my sister is showing spiritual maturity in her life. And, and look, they used to struggle with this, and God's giving them the victory. They're, it is God's will that we gather together the bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is so much the more as you see the day approaching and when i get disconnected from god's people when become infrequent in my visitation and fellowship with the people of god what happens the flesh begins to take control amen and just so you don't misunderstand me going to church is no guarantee that your flesh can't be in control just going to church is not enough You've got to crucify that flesh every day. You've got to get up and look in the mirror and say, I'm not that guy that I used to be anymore. I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what's powerful about daily prayer. Daily prayer, daily prayer, daily prayer. What is that that is setting the record straight every day and reckoning yourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God? I'm not saying you have to pray for two hours every day, but somewhere along the way you've got to say, Okay, now, flesh, uh, let's uh, go back to the beginning again, class 101. You're not in charge. He's in charge. Uh, and, uh, and, and, it's, and it's by following after the Spirit and pursuing after the Spirit that I'll recognize the impulses from heaven and I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh but if i don't follow after the spirit then i will fulfill the lust of the flesh last thing last 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 thing is the good news is is there is coming a day 
when we will be separated from our old vile flesh once and for all. And we will receive a glorified body that does not lust like our flesh lusts and is not full of the vileness of the world. Amen. And that's our hope is that eventually our flesh will be cast out just like Ishmael eventually was cast out and Isaac was alone in the house. There's coming a day when that's going to happen. Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. It says, who shall change our vile body? I think Paul understood the score. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. One day my vile body will be changed into a glorified body. First John 3 and 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And our hope through the baptism of the Spirit is right now, Ishmael and Isaac are both living in the house and there's conflict in the house but there's coming a day when Ishmael is going to be cast out and we will like Christ Jesus be the children of promise and partakers of his divine nature amen and be like Jesus praise God let's give him thanks for that right now hallelujah praise God let's stand together so guess what? In the meantime, in the meantime, we got to keep living for God. In the meantime, we can't get discouraged and quit because there's a struggle. <laughs> because there's a struggle lets us know that we're on the right path. Somebody said it this way. Uh, if, if you ain't getting attacked by anybody, you must not be doing anything right. But when you feel the attack of the spirit, the attack of the enemy, then you know I must be making some spiritual progress because there's some antagonism in my flesh. That's why fasting and prayer is important because it sets the record straight. That's why being faithful and, and, and having good fellowship with God's people is important because it keeps us pursuing after the things of the spirit. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your people who have a very real desire to grow. And to become everything that, that you would have them to be. We thank you, Jesus, for the revelation, the understanding from the word of God today based on the story of Isaac. We pray, Lord Jesus, for every believer who is struggling with Ishmael in their flesh, but at the same time rejoicing in Isaac. I pray in the name of the Lord that they would understand that their inheritance is not through the flesh, but their inheritance is through the Spirit of God and continue to pursue after the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to pursue after the things of the Spirit, to hunger after the things of the Spirit so they won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We thank you, God, for what you're doing, and we know that you have, be, that have begun a good work in us is going to complete it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Brother Ulysses, you have some instructions for us regarding the class. That was awesome, right? Let's praise God for that. Thank you, Pastor. Our starting point uh, class is starting.